Okay, so I know you're going to educate me on some stuff today, but this is a new thing we're going to do where we're going to talk about some headlines that have happened in the animal kingdom since our last episode. And I have four things that I want to discuss with you very quickly. Okay. I'm, First I'm, thing. I'm interested. You always do such a good job of scraping the internet for random facts. Well, here's the thing. I am chronically online. You're not. So I find way more stuff than you do. And it's probably a good thing because your mind isn't filled with complete garbage. Um, <laughs> so you're probably mentally healthier than I am to an extent. Uh, but I have gotten sucked into reality TV as of late. I think in part because Succession and Barry ended and I needed to find something else to fill that gaping hole in my heart without those shows. So I got sucked into the Vanderpump rules oh my Lord. world. Okay. And I won't bore everyone with all of the details of all the drama, but there is something that is very concerning to me that has not been discussed yet in regards to Ariana Maddox and Tom Sandoval breaking up. And that is, are they going to share custody of their dog, Maya? Now, Ooh, now to give a little bit of drama. background, they had another dog whose name was Charlotte. And Charlotte passed away in the last season of the show. She was an old, old dog. And Sandoval, the cheater, the, the gross little sand pit cheater, was not even there for her when her dog died. He didn't even show up for her when her dog died and was boinking someone else when she was grieving the loss of her dog. So I, that being said, I, I think if I were a judge in court, I would not let Sandoval see that dog ever again. I, I like it. Get full custody. You're going to throw the book at him. God, that's, that is tough. I mean, I know people who've gotten dogs together and who have split. And I, I think, I mean, a lot of them are doing joint custody, which works as long as you're in the same city. Obviously, less effective if you, like, can you imagine moving to California and you're sharing a dog with somebody in New York? Like, how does that work? Well, I just don't think it does. I don't think it does. And truthfully, I would never want to, I mean, I broke up with that person for a reason, right? And let's be honest, I probably in any relationship would get the dog because I can't imagine any dog loving someone else more than they would love me. Ruthie never could. N Ruthie never could. Who would smudge go with? How, would you and Josh oh. like custody or would we, you? We would uh, have to. He would be devastated. Like we, we could not like one of us could not just take the dog. It would be too traumatic for him. Do you think that it, one would have the dog would have smudge more than the other? Probably not. I feel like it would be equal. Um, it, you know, maybe just depending like who's more available. Like I'm usually better at time management during the week. Josh is better on the weekends. So I suspect that I would be like the weekday parent and Josh would be fun weekend dad. But um yeah, it would be really hard. We, we can't do that to him. Well, I'll tell you this. If you and Josh ever were to break up, um, 
I'm not ever going to volunteer to help take care of Smudge and be a good friend that way because your dog annoys oh, me. <laughs> don't worry. I, I don't even, I didn't even put your name down on this uh, yeah. adoption application for Australian Shepherds forever. I was like, Anya's not going to advocate for the Aussies. I will Even say though your dog, even though Ruthie, Ruthie is the naughty one. Ruthie's she's the one that hisses. Oh yeah. When she, she stayed with us, hissing, growling food territorial like stuff oh yeah no 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 my sweet little baby angel's annoying but he does not growl <laughs> oh yeah when you hear ruthie growl it's very terrifying <laughs> smudge she needs to... business <laughs> smudge needs to grow a backbone <laughs> they didn't he he didn't get one from that expensive breeder that you got from. no that's why nobody that wanted included. him was that Nobody extra? wanted him for that reason. <laughs> well, I'll say this. In the reunion with Tom Sandoval and Ariana Maddox and his mistress, Raquel, Ariana told his mistress that she hopes the ghost of her dead dog, Charlotte, haunts her. And I thought that was the sickest burn. <laughs> Ooh. Ouchie. Uh, moving on to the next topic of conversation, queer ultimatum, or <laughs> I might be messing up the name, sorry, the ultimatum, <laughs> which is a queer dating show on Netflix. A couple broke up because Tiff did not agree with her partner, uh, Sam, that their dog should not sleep in the bed. And this dog Shiloh is like everything to Tiff. And they were pretty, they were pretty firm about this, that this dog could not be replaced in any way. Now, I have thought about this before because Ruthie sleeps with me in my bed all the time. I spoon her, she spoons me. Sometimes she sleeps on the edge of the bed. Sometimes she pushes me off the bed. When I have had another body in the bed, sometimes she's right in the middle of us so we don't touch at all. If I was with someone that was not okay with Ruthie sleeping in the bed, I also don't think that could work for me. Oh, yeah. One, that wouldn't work no, for me. No one's a better cuddler than Ruthie. Yeah, I, I could not do that either. Um, I mean, I tried. Like, when we first got him, I did not want him in the bed. And then we just... That was like one battle with him we could not win. Uh, I just like, all right, caved. And once once I did, I mean, there's no going back. I'm sad the days where I wake up and he's not on the bed. I'm like, where did he go? I, not like wake up. Anymore? I will wake up in the middle of the night if Ruthie's not on the bed and has gone to the couch and I will pick her up. <laughs> and bring her and into force the bed. Her, <laughs> force her to snuggle with you. Yes. So sweet. Yes. But uh, as far as this relationship goes between Tiff and Sam, one of the funny things that I read or one of the things that uh, uh, Sam said, can I be honest with you on the dog situation that's going on right now? I slept on the couch with the dog last night or, or uh, sorry, Tiff said, I slept on the couch with the dog last night and I feel like I'm compromising by not even putting you in a situation where you have to deal with my dog in the bed. I listen, I, my dog, she's, she came before whoever's going to come in my bed again. So, you know, you got to know your place. And then the third thing, Pete Davidson, 
adopted a dog from some type of uh, hyperallergenic dog from a pet store in New York Bought City. Bought a dog. Bought a dog. Good correction. PETA came down hard on him. And he left PETA a very colorful voice message. Which I did read about that. We will clip out for you guys. I don't want to be the one to say the things that he said. But part of his reasoning behind getting this dog is that he's allergic to most dogs. And the specific breed that he got is one of the few that he's not allergic to. Now, one could make the argument that he could have gone to a breeder who specializes in breeding these dogs. He's certainly wealthy enough to go to and find someone who breeds these types of dogs. But on the flip side, I mean, these dogs that are in these pet stores, they do need to find a home, right? Like, I think it's one of those things that it feels like a problem in some ways that is unsolvable because what do you do with all of these dogs that do end up in these pet stores other than just completely making them illegal and then everyone working collectively to try to find these dogs homes. But I mean, I'm I'm anti-pet store. I'm completely anti-pet stores. And so I think if people just, like if our government just banned them and said you can't sell dogs and cats in stores anymore, you know, maybe there's like a 20-day period where those stores can try to sell those animals. And then after that, you know, they go up for adoption. You know, I'm sure there are local rescue groups and cities, et cetera, who could rally to support that. And then, you know, at that point, it's like if you want to, purchase a specific type of dog you go to a breeder or a breed specific adoption thing but i i have to say like i'm with i'm not with pete on everything but i i thought that was like deeply disappointing like people should not be buying animals in in stores so you know PETA activists sometimes pour red paint on people right who are wearing fur and that kind of stuff do you think the appropriate reaction to Pete Davidson would have been to get a bunch of dog dander that he's allergic to and to oh, dump I it on him when he's walking down the street? <laughs> I love that. Totally. Oh, that is so great. And the last headline of the day is the Upper East Side. These poor, poor Upper East Siders in New York City who I definitely feel very badly for. Uh, are trying to fix the poop problem in on the sidewalks. And I go to the Upper East Side a lot. I have not seen it as badly as it was described in this article that I read. But their solution to this is to put up a bunch of signs to remind people to pick up their dog poo. My thinking is, is that that is not enough because... A sign is not going to, in my mind, change someone's mindset of, oh, I should be courteous of other people around me and pick up my dogs yeah, no. too. If you're not Find already them. doing it, I don't $100 think you're going to do it. $100 a dump. Well, the fine is $250, but I guess it's like, how do you, how do we report, unless like a police officer sees someone, right, with their dog shitting on the sidewalk and not picking it up, is this like, when you can do a citizen's arrest, because I have thought about this. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I've thought about this a lot because when I see dog poo in the street or I see someone not picking up their dog's poo, it, it drives me crazy. And I, I literally was thinking about it this morning at the dog park 
um, or this off-leash area where I take Ruthie sometimes, and sometimes people don't pick up their dog poop in the off-leash area. And I was like, I wonder if there's just a way to like, if you had to punch in into the dog park, right? And then you could keep track of who was coming and going and there's video cameras everywhere and you see who's not picking up their poo. Like oh, how totally. can you regulate it? Cause there's just I no mean, real way to find people consistently who don't pick up their dog shit. This definitely warrants a, a longer conversation. So let's do this as an episode, but I think this is a great example of like surveillance AI systems could totally help us with this. Yes. Like I don't this see any other way to do this other than like try to encourage people to be decent, which is obviously not working on a number of levels in this country. So um, yeah, I'm all in favor of CCTV and AI tracking these assholes. I'm going to just say something real quick. I have ran down the street before and handed someone a poop bag who was walking away from their dog and said, here you go. In case you didn't have, I, I really, you must have not had one or something like that because I, I will shame people. I will shame people to no ends. There's no limit for me of how much I will shame people who do not pick up their dog's poo. So right, watch out the new, me. uh, the new captain of New York's dog poo task force. Yes. We have a rat czar can be the dog poo czar. <laughs> You'd be perfect. <sighs> Okay, well, those are my headlines. That's the big important stuff that I've uh, been paying attention to outside of Trump being indicted. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> all the bigger fish to fry. Totally. So tell me, what are we talking about today? What are you going to educate me on now that you know about the ultimatum band of pump rules and Pete Davidson? Oh, man. Well, first of all, I don't think I could educate you on anything. But, um, <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, I was, I mean, I forgot that you were traveling last week. And so you missed smoke apocalypse in New York. And I want to talk to you about it because it actually, like, there was a lot of animal stuff that came up from that event. I mean, you know what happened, right? Yes. I, uh, like I said, I'm chronically online. How could I not know what was happening while I was gone? Every story on my Instagram for my friends that live in New York were of the orange skies of the city. Yeah. It was really scary. It was like out of a, a post, a, not post, but like an apocalyptic film. Um, so yeah. So like all this wildfire smoke from Canada came down, it settled in the city for two days. And what was really interesting for me was the number of people posting on Instagram and Facebook that they didn't know what to do about their dogs. So people are asking like, can I take my dog out? Is it okay to still walk them outside? If so, for how long? Does my dog need to wear a mask? Um, and I was like, oh, wow. Like, it's funny how in disasters, like, our minds immediately go from, like, us to our, our furry companions now, too. And the feedback that I saw uh, was that it's okay to bring your dog out on its normal walk schedule, but the walks had to be shortened, you know, no strenuous activity, no hiking, no fetch, and otherwise just try to stay inside. How, now, smudge, how long did they say max that they that an animal could stay outside for? Did they give like any I actual was, time limits? It was as long as you need to get it to do what it's going to do. In that case, Ruthie could take up to an hour because she will delay 
going to the bathroom because I think she likes being outside so much that she knows sometimes that I'm just taking her out to go to the bathroom. She, like she's literally made me walk her in the rain. Like, yeah, no, she would have been outside for five minutes. You would have had to have brought her back in. And then if she has to do it, then like sucks that- for her. She has to go another time. I would say like, this is, I, there are times this, and I think this is kind of correlated to like when it's winter and if there's a huge ice storm or snowstorm and it's really tough to take your dogs out where I, I have never trained Ruthie to use any type of pad to go to the bathroom. Yeah, same. There are certainly moments where I'm like, I wish I would have. Because one, I don't want to go outside in the shitty weather, <laughs> but two, I don't want to make her suffer by having to go outside either. But yeah, that would, uh, I, that's like the one, the few times I'm like, man, I definitely should have trained her to pee on a pad. Well, hope, I mean, who knows what the future will hold on you, but hopefully we don't have too many more of these, uh, which we probably will. <laughs> Never mind. (laughs) But yeah, Smudge hated it. I mean, it was rough. Like, he did not get his playtime. He didn't get his long walks. He had the Zoom Zooms. He was driving us crazy. It was really hard to work because he kept following us around the apartment and dropping toys in our laps while we were on Zoom calls. So it was was not an easy four hours. Was it like, but it seemed longer than that. It seemed like it was at least three or four days. The worst of it, was over two days it started yeah like most of it lasted over the course of four days i don't think people really realized it till the second day that was the worst it was really bad interesting but it it wasn't just dogs that you know were in the news for this um i saw that the i think the bronx zoo central park queens prospect park i didn't even know we had this many zoos in new york like all the zoos closed early and they brought their animals inside which you know, a lot of those animals weren't super happy about it. And then I was interested in this. So I started reading a bit more and I think it was the Toronto star or local paper in uh, Toronto said that the zoo there is obviously dealing with this on like a totally different level because the fires are in Canada and they have a whole process now for how to help their animals when these forest fire, like smoke bombs descend on the city. Wow. It makes me wonder though, like when you have, I mean, you think about like lions, tigers, elephants, like these are not small animals and you're bringing them indoors. How long can they be confined in an indoor space too, before they go crazy? Cause you're talking about one, you're talking about smudge and him going crazy, not being right. able to run around outside. What happens when a tiger doesn't get their energy out? <laughs> so apparently that was an issue. And they have games that they would play with them. So they would like bring toys like into the, I don't know what you call the enclosures, the you know, indoor pens or whatever. And just like try to get them to play with random animal toys, ropes. Apparently like, they like pawing at ropes. The ropes were very popular. Um, yeah, that was an issue. I mean, what I read was that like the very old animals, very young animals that were pregnant, animals that had a history of you know, respiratory problems, they were brought inside immediately. And then some of the healthy animals were allowed to stay outside during mild smoke conditions. And then their breathing was monitored. And so as soon as like you could see them like breathing heavily and like their sides started moving a lot, um, they got brought inside to play the rope game, which they hated. <laughs> what is the what is the rope game? It, 
something about like tangling the rope and like making knots like the animals like hitting it or like you try to like pull it back from them yeah it, it was funny and what was interesting is obviously a lot of these animals have to go inside during the winter but apparently there's like a longer you have more runway to go from being an outside animal to an indoor animal the season so they can sort of like gradually acclimate them to that but with these types of natural disasters, there is no time to acclimate them. So it's like a huge shock for these wild animals to go, even just, you know, being in a zoo enclosure mm -hmm. to being inside suddenly. Most of them apparently don't adapt very well. That, I mean, yeah, I think th that would be really scary for an animal too, I feel like, when suddenly they just go to being enclosed the whole time. I feel like the, the thing that always makes me sad about animals in general when they are being put in positions or having to do things that humans are co coercing them to do is that they don't know what's going on really right yeah, it's like no idea it's like when your animal gets sick and you have to take them to the vet and they have to do these tests on them and everything it's not like you can tell them <laughs> what's happening you just pet them and try to reassure them and make them feel okay and i i can imagine that that's like a very scary thing for animals to experience so i'm wondering just like outside of making sure they're not bored and going you know over the edge like is there anxiety too that they have to take into account and how do they calm the animals down from more of the mental side not just because they have energy that's a really good question um, I did not see that come up in terms of the zoos, but where I did see, you know, that anxiety come up was, in, you know, animals that are in closer proximity to the forest fires themselves. Like forest fires are traumatic. Just ask Bambi and Bambi's family. I mean, they, the smoke is that we dealt with was affecting animals, you know, thousands of miles away from the forest fires, but the forest fires are problematic for these critters on a totally different level uh, so i did some research on what happens to wildlife you know during forest fires and some of what i found was a little surprising so you know, for example the majority of animals in a forested area do not die during the forest fire itself that's because most animals are able to leave the area and pretty quickly you know even with fast spreading forest fires and certain animals you know less able to do this but overall, you know, the majority of them can get out of that area, especially, you know, birds and larger mammals. It's really what happens after the fire is out. That's where the problems start to mount. Like, you know, these animals are pushed into areas with humans. So like suddenly they're in like towns or cities because they were forced to be there. And like, you can imagine like, you know, car traffic and stuff like that's an issue. But more broadly, you know, they've lost access to their food and shelter sources. So it's not that they're killed you know, during the fires themselves, but it's the things that they need to survive are no longer there. And then they suffer after that. How do the animals know to leave? Great question. I, you know, what I found, at least with birds, is it's just built into them. Like there's just something wired in their brains that says, you know, get out. I'm sure you know, they can smell it probably the heat change it scares them as well but mm -hmm. yeah it, it's a great question but it just seems to be instinctual at this point that they just know to get the f out of there as quickly as they can i'm gonna do a quick little search yeah so you were kind of spot on 
the International Fund for Wildlife Animal Welfare said that many animals use their keen sense of smell and awareness of their surroundings to detect early signs of a fire. Small animals like reptiles and amphibians who cannot outrun the fire will shelter in burrows or under rocks. Yes, some of them will dig underground. So while some animals will just like leave the area, the ones that know that they can't move quickly enough are smart enough to know that they need to go underground. And obviously some forest fires can burn underground with like dead roots and everything. But um, I thought that was really clever. It's like, huh. We I think we always that. underestimate how smart animals are though, right? I mean, we, us humans like to pride ourselves in being superior in intelligence, but I would never think to go underground <laughs> if I had no other option. I'd be like, all right, well, I guess this is how it ends. Joan of Arc over there. here. <laughs> I would just stand there with my arms <laughs> wide open. I'd probably put some leaves on me and twigs on me too to just like make it happen faster just to get it over with. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Remind me to never go camping with you. No, don't. don't. <laughs> well, like on that note, so, you know, I assumed, okay, like if, the animals that can leave are the ones that are the best equipped to survive these things. I assumed birds would be the best off, right? Like of all the animals, no one's got it easier than birds. And apparently that's wrong. Apparently birds actually suffer the most during forest fires. Um, some, it's shelter, it's food sources, but it's actually migration patterns that get really, really screwed up. Um, hmm. so I went down this, uh, rabbit hole, <laughs> so to speak on, um, the Audubon society and they published a story in, uh, 2021 about this guy, Corey Overton, who's a U.S. geological survey wildlife biologist. And he was tracking geese migration via GPS. So they would somehow you know, catch these geese, GPS tag them, and then they would follow their migration routes you know, around the U.S., and he noticed that in 2020, a lot of the, the migration patterns were off, like something weird was going on and the birds were taking really like strange routes, stopping for longer periods of time. And they were trying to figure out what was going on. And they realized it was because of uh, forest fire smoke. So mm. in September, 2020, like more than 3.5 million acres of forests in the US caught fire. Wow. And is that insane? And the smoke from those those blaze areas, it goes even further. Apparently, like it covered an area 44 times that of the fires. So all of that smoke is moving around the United States, and the geese are trying to avoid the smoke. And where they got into trouble was in trying to avoid the smoke, they ended up increasing their migration time and wasting energy. And they were not able to refuel the way that they needed to in order to make up for all of the energy that they were expending on that process. So like birds will, birds will dodge smoke, like one of two ways. They either go around it or they go above it. And either one is going to use up a lot more energy. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I would have never, ever thought that birds would be the most impacted. Right. Like you would think it would be like deer or. Yeah. You know, 
I just think like the birds like go go to a different state, right? <laughs> but I, I do they also they're also though, not I'm wired wondering, for that. I'm wondering if they're I like I don't know what bird sense of smell is compared to these other animals, right? Where they're talking about that they use their sensories. Like, are their sensories as strong as other animals, for instance? That you know, obviously dogs can smell. I you know, not that dogs are living the forest, but some dogs have greater sense of smell than other dogs do, even. But I wonder if that's tied to it too, that if they were able to sense things earlier that they would know to leave so they wouldn't have to go above it or around it. Yeah, I, I love that question because now I'm wondering, do the birds smell the fire first or do they see it? Like birds, most birds have a great sense of vision. Um, but yeah, that's like a really good question. Like how close in proximity do most bird species have to get to forest fire smoke before they realize that it's there. Um, I'm going to follow up. Well, on, on your, like, on your Abudan, what is it? Abudan? What's the name yeah. of this? <laughs> <laughs> the Abu Dhabi Bon. <laughs> the, the Aju Bon. <laughs> Aju Bon. They have an article on here uh, <laughs> that says birds can smell and one scientist is leading the charge to prove it. And the other headline is, for more than a, nearly a century, everyone believed birds' sense of smell was poorly developed or non-existent. They were wrong. So apparently, I won't, I cannot read all of this right now, obviously, but my guess is, having only read the headline, is that bird smell sucks, but they can smell a little bit. <laughs> so you know, I'm we could do an experiment. The, I'm guessing that's the premise of the article. <laughs> We could do a really great experiment here where the next time you decide to light up on your, uh, what is that in the background, <laughs> your uh, fire escape, we can see like what radius of pigeons flees the area. Like when that giant doobie comes outside, like are we talking like five feet, 15 feet, 25? We can do some scientific research here on you. All right. I'll, and then the Adu Dabi Dabi Dune Bon is going to write an article about me and my experience. <laughs> I think you already had an uh, uh, Abu Dhabi Doobie Bon <laughs> for this recording. I swear I didn't. It's too early. It's too early. Well, look, I hate leaving on a bad note. Um, and which is not to downplay how upsetting all this is because because it is, and we should all be doing our part to minimize the horrible things that we're doing on the planet. But there are some tiny, tiny silver linings to forest fires for animals. Um, one of which is that forest fires do clear out dead and diseased plants so that healthy ones can grow, which again provides for the most part better food source for most animals. Obviously there are animals that thrive in dead trees and like eating the bugs and stuff like that, that live in, you know, dead plants. But um, on the whole, it's better for the forest to eventually get rid of some of that stuff. And a new forest can also mean that more sunlight's able to hit the, the forest floor, which encourages more things to grow. And um, again, just like some more food sources for, for critters. Um, so, you know, that's tiny, tiny little, silver lining and it's also it's not like the forest department's not doing anything afterwards so like at least in the u.s the national forest foundation they have like a whole process for what they do after a forest fire 
the very first thing is just making sure the area is stabilized structurally, because you can imagine you've got all this like mud and ash. And if you have a lot of rain, then you're gonna end up with these like horrible mudslides that can like wipe out people's homes and like further damage habitats. So that's like the first thing they have to do is try to get the area, just make sure the area is stable from those types of um, mudslides, landslides. And then once they do that, they have to really quickly plant native species because there's a huge concern that when a forest is wiped out, all of the like the native things that could battle invasive species are gone. And you don't want like invasive plants and bugs coming in. So they have to like move really quickly to get native plants, you know, back in there and growing. You know, they're restoring fish and wildlife habitats. They're bringing in animals like beavers to try to encourage them to like, you know, work the land the way they had before. Um, so like they are, do they have beavers? They do, they, do they bring in a, a bunch of beavers to help build dams? Cause you know, they're pretty, yeah. they're pretty resourceful. They just are like, all right guys, get to work. They give them little totally. hammers. They're like awesome little engineers. They put them to work <laughs> and they build dams and, you know, pick up, I don't know, burnt out wood and, and move it around. So, you know, there is a process for dealing with this, but it's crazy. Like apparently over 50% of the forest service budget is spent on fighting fires and you know it just means like that much money is not available to go towards like other programs and activities to help preserve our forests keep them healthy and like keep people enjoying them in a safe way i mean this is probably another discussion at some point right but it's like so much money is being spent on um to fight fires and it seems like we need more money to actually prevent them. I don't know. Do we need more Smokey the Bear? Like, do we just need to deploy a bunch of Smokey the Bear people in costumes to teach people to not start fucking fires or whatnot? I, I, I guess it's just how are so many fires getting started? And I know a lot of it is environmental in terms of like you just can't control certain things, right, to a certain extent. But we've also read several stories in the past of people who have started fires. Yes. And hikers, campers, and the worst, like these people should be fined. The people who have had these gender reveal bullshit things where they had like a firework that was launched. And is it pink? We're having a girl. Is it blue? It's a boy. And then the firework like lands in a brush in Arizona. Only people in Arizona would do this. And yeah, then the entire thing goes up in flames. I mean, I would only be okay if that firework landed on, I don't know, Carrie Lake's house in Arizona, but that's another discussion. <laughs> it's headed for Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> uh, yeah, I bet because you think it, you think about too, obviously people are very much impacted by these things. And then we obviously talked a lot about wildlife though, of what's lost in, in the wake of people's stupidity and negligence. And I don't, I don't know how you combat that. I mean, it kind of goes back a little bit to our earlier conversation around dog poop and people who don't pick up their dog poop. I just think that there's willful ignorance that people have yes. or just lack of care that they have of their surroundings that until it directly impacts them, they're not going to do anything to change their behaviors or to make sure that they're not harming others and 
it's sad that so much is being spent on just fighting fires that are being, especially the ones that are started by people. Yeah. I mean, I love how you said that. Um, you know, it's, I don't think it's an education problem. I think people are aware like that you have access to this information. It's that for whatever reason, the information is not being acted on and it's right. that willful ignorance, you know, well, I, and it's laziness. Like people are so lazy. It's unbelievable. So uh, can you change people's behavior? I don't know, but I'm hopeful that perhaps, you know, there'll be use cases for technology drones and stuff like that, that can very quickly identify where these things are starting so that, you know, we can, so we can get firefighters, you know, forest firefighters to those scenes much more quickly to try to put this stuff out or control it? Or you know, do you have a world in which you eventually do have like drones that could just automatically respond by deploying, you know, sprays or whatever it is? I don't know, but I can totally see that being, you know, well, a, a future and it's scary, but like a future where you go hiking somewhere, you know, kind of remote and you're not really alone anymore. You'll, you know, you've got these little flying machines passing by every now and then. Well, and it's also when you think about it, it's not just impacting the wildlife, but I mean, you think of the firefighters that put their lives on the line to go fight these fires too, right? And and the sacrifice that they're making for us. Maybe it'll get to the point one day. I mean, we have robo cops now. Maybe we'll have robo firefighters that can we can just deploy that are fireproof. And I don't know, who knows? And they're just filled with water, and they just run around the forest. <laughs> Sprinkling water. <laughs> It'll be like the um, like was it Boston Dynamics has the police dog, the little robot dog. We'll have like a oh, bunch yeah. of Smokey the Bears, like robotic Smokies with these massive water jet packs with them and just like go flying, flying around. Them. Can you imagine? Now that I that is cool. Elon Musk, stop building your rocket ship. Jeff Bezos, same thing. I know you also just got a five hundred million dollar yacht. We found the solution for forest fires right here on Furfluencer. So this is our pitch. Let's go on Shark Tank. What are we waiting for? Let's. <laughs> <laughs> on that note. Yeah. Cutie and credits. I just heard the music come on and it's time to go. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Follow us at the Furfluencers on Instagram at thefurfluencers.com. Sign up for our newsletter at thefurfluencers.com. And please like and subscribe on Spotify and iTunes. Leave us a good review while you're at it as well. And don't start any forest fires while you're at it.